And for our scripture reading this afternoon, we'll turn to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And we'll read the first 36 verses. That'll help us with the context to, to read the first 36 verses. So Luke chapter 9, uh, beginning at verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs nor bag nor bread nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house ye enter, stay there, and from there depart." And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. And Herod said, John I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And when the multitudes knew it, they followed him. And he received them. And spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who had need of healing. And when a day began to wear away, the twelve came to him and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and countries, and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And then he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so, and made them all sit down. And then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them, and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. And so they all ate, and were filled, and twelve baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. And it happened, as he was alone praying, that his disciples joined him, and asked him, and he asked them, saying, Who do you who do the crowd say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and of him, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which was about to which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said." And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things that they had seen. This far, the reading of Scripture. And in connection with this passage, we will also read from the Heidelberg Catechism, the Lord's Day 12, which you find in the back of the Blue Psalter on page 40. On page 40. And we'll read only question 31 from Lord's Day 12. Lord's Day 12, question 31. And the question asks, why is he called Christ, that is, anointed? And the answer says, because he is ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption and to be our only high priest, who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and makes continual intercession with the Father for us, and also to be our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit, and who defends and preserves us in the enjoyment of that salvation which he has purchased for us. As far as the reading of the Catechism, <clears throat> and our focus this afternoon will be from the verses 18 through 22 of Luke 9 that we read together, Luke 9, verses 18 through 22, where the Lord Jesus asks these questions to his disciples and also begins to tell them that he must suffer many things. And so our theme this evening uh, we are, we're following the flow of the catechism. Last time we saw faith in Jesus, 
They've looked at the name of the Lord of, of Jesus. Jesus means Savior. And today, it's our, our theme is faith in the Christ of God. And we'll seek to see a little bit of what that means today. And so Jesus here, he asks his disciples some questions. And our first thought then is, we see the general question that the Lord Jesus asks in, in verse 18. The Lord Jesus came to, or the disciples came to the Lord Jesus when he was praying, and when he was finished, he asked them, saying, who do the crowds say that I am? So the Lord Jesus asks this general question to the disciples, who do the crowds say that I am? What, what do the people believe or understand about the Lord Jesus? Who is he? Who do they understand him to be? And Luke by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has been writing these different events, and he's leading, up, leading us up to these questions that we've seen along the way. Here, who is Christ? And the disciples answered, as we read in verse 19, it says, So they answered and said, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. And so you see that the people had varying opinions about who the Lord Jesus really was. They recognized he certainly was someone special, someone unique, even someone from God, recognized as a prophet, maybe even someone who had risen from the dead, someone from their rich past. But they never came as far as to confess that he was the promised Messiah, the one that was to come. And as we read in in verse 7, even Herod took notice of what was happening, specifically after the apostles went out and and did the preaching and and miracles. And Herod was asking this question as well, who is this man? And it says in in verse 7 that he was perplexed, because this is what the people were saying. Some said it was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Some said it was Elijah. Some said it was some other prophet that had risen. But Herod said, I have beheaded John, but but who is this of whom I hear such things? And so Herod himself was curious to see what the Lord Jesus was doing. He didn't really believe it could be John the Baptist, but Herod had often heard John preach, and heard him gladly, it says. He'd invited him to come and preach to him, but still in the end, he had John the Baptist um, beheaded. He did not really believe what John the Baptist was saying. And so here we can also understand that Herod was not really interested in what the Lord Jesus Christ was saying, but he wanted to see the miracles. But this question, who is this man, is a question that the disciples also had asked back in Luke 8, as we saw last time. When Jesus calmed the storm when they were in a boat, they they marveled, they were afraid, and they said, Who can this be? For He commands the wind and the waves and the water, and they obey Him. And so everyone in the country is really asking the question, wondering who this man really is. Then we saw in Luke 8, verse 28, when the Lord Jesus was met by that demon-possessed man, and when that man came running to him, 
He said, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. There, the name Jesus was used, that name of Savior, and, and connecting with the Son of the Most High God. That name means Jehovah saves. And there the Lord Jesus delivered that man from the devils, from the power of sin, and from the power of Satan. He saved him. He set him free. And because of the Lord Jesus' teaching and all his miracles, there is, there is a great curiosity. And these, these multitudes were following him, as we see in, in verse 11. The, the multitudes followed him. And he tried to get some rest there in a deserted place, but the people flocked after him. And so he, he received them. And again, it says, he taught them of the kingdom of God, and he healed the sick. And then he performed that miracle that we read of feeding the 5,000. And it's after all this that when Jesus is again alone with his disciples, finally getting some rest, that he asks this question to them, now who do the crowd say that I am? Why is he asking that? So many people are following the Lord Jesus, but what do they see in him? What is the difference between those people who follow Jesus and the apostles who are following Jesus? And so the Lord Jesus is teaching the disciples to, to learn, to understand, to know who He truly is and for what purpose He has come into this world so that they will believe on Him for His saving work, but also to prepare, him for what, prepare them for what would happen. The, the multitudes want to follow him for what they can get. And it's even the disciples do not expect that he will have to die soon. And he has to prepare them for that, to, to indicate his purpose for coming. So here with this question, he, he's showing them, or asking them, what did the crowds really understand and believe about the Lord Jesus? And so we see that the crowd's understanding is based on what they could see, what they could see. They could see the miracles that Jesus was doing, but they couldn't see past the miracles to recognize who was doing it. They could not recognize the Christ of God. The miracles were not leading them back to the Scriptures to search out who this man was that had such power. We see that the crowds, that the belief in the crowds is based on what they could receive for themselves. The bread, when they were fed with the 5,000, the, the healing. But they were not asking who could provide such abundant blessings. It did not lead them to God. They were more concerned about what they could receive than with who was the one giving it to them and why. Just like the farmers who were more concerned about the investment of their pigs that they had lost, they did not really need or want Christ for who He is. And so their understanding was based on what they wanted. They wanted a temporal deliverer, the deliverer from the Roman oppression. They knew that their word says that the Lord had promised that, that, that David's descendants would rule the kingdom, and they wanted an earthly kingdom, 
but they did not understand that the Lord Jesus here was teaching of, of, the, of the heavenly kingdom, the kingdom of God it repeatedly mentioned. And so John 6 says that when the people saw the miracles that the Lord was doing, they said, certainly this is the prophet, and they wanted to take him by force and make him their king. Can you imagine a king who can do miracles? They were certainly thinking that this was a man who could drive out their enemies. Isn't that what we want as well? A government who can solve all our problems and make life so much better? But they were totally wrong. They were totally against the purpose of Christ. They were even opposing God Himself, because if they had crowned Jesus king of their land, it would have prevented or certainly hindered Him from going to the cross. And so their understanding was not based on what they heard from His preaching or read in the Scriptures. They did not understand the Word of God. They do not understand the Old Testament prophecies and how Christ was to be the fulfillment of them all. In fact, they don't even want to hear them. It's like the parable of, of, of the, the, the feast, the banquet, where everybody had excuses, where the Jews, it was shown that they all had excuses. They didn't want to believe. It's showing here that they're doing the very same thing that their fathers did with the old prophets, even though they say, this could be a prophet risen from the dead, but their fathers were the ones who killed the prophets. Herod beheaded John the Baptist. Elijah, who they said it might be, he was persecuted by Ahaz and Jezebel. And many other prophets were tortured and killed because they do not want to hear the Word of God. And the reason is because they don't see their need for Christ, for their own soul. They don't see their need to be saved from their sins. And so this question needs to make us ask, how is it then in our own hearts? Because when the Lord blesses us outwardly, we rejoice, and we gladly follow God. But if life doesn't go the way we expect or the way we like, what do we, what do, we do? Do we turn away from Him what Christ is doing here is he, He's revealing that there is a greater need that we all have. We will certainly follow Christ if it benefits us, but when we're confronted with God's Word, with the fact that we have sinned against a holy God, that we have sin in our hearts, that we, we are nothing but corruption and sin, that as we are born we are at enmity with God, when we hear God's Word convict us, then we want to behead the messenger, just like Herod beheaded John. John came preaching repentance. And this reveals the natural enmity that is in our hearts against God. Because of sin, there is a division between man and God, between man and man. The result of sin is a broken world. And if we, if we realize who God is in His holiness, in His majesty, in His justice, that He must punish sin, that He must deal with sin, how can we come back to God? How can we be reconciled to a holy God? And He's saying this is what we need to learn to see. 
We need to learn to answer this question, who is Christ for you? Because God did not send a son merely to give you a better life on this world. And so after this general question, Jesus asked his disciple a personal question. That's our second thought, a personal question. The disciples needed to learn the full identity of Christ. And the probing question that Jesus asks them in verse 20, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? You know, the English is always so smooth, but the, 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 the original language here is very emphatic. And Jesus says, but you, who do you say that I am? He, he brings it right to her heart, very pointedly, but you, not the crowds anymore, not your friends, but who do you say that I am? And so Christ is drawing out a personal confession of our faith, even in front of the world. Because Matthew 10, verse 32, he says, therefore whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. That's a statement that's made in the context of, the perse- of persecution in this world. So it's not just for what we can receive in this life, but a confession of who Christ is before God for you. Even when the popular opinion of, of the crowds is against him. And this is when Peter, who, who often speaks first for the disciples, he, he gave this great confession and he said, the Christ of God. In Matthew 16, verse 16, Matthew records and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what a confession that all of Scripture is revealing that Christ is the Son of the living, the one and only true God, that Christ is God. And that name Christ, it means anointed of God. It means the Messiah. The Old Testament name is Messiah. It's the official title for Christ's offices. Jesus was his his personal name, and it means Jesus saves. But Christ is his official name. The offices of Christ now show how he will save his people, how he will deliver them from sin and from Satan, and how he will reconcile sinners back with the holy God. And it's through the official work of Christ, through this name of Christ, that we learn how God sends his Son to save sinners and to redeem them to himself, to make them his people, to make them his children, to redeem them from sin. And this is where we we read the catechism, and I'll read that again, where question 31 asks, why is he called Christ that is anointed? Because he's ordained of God the Father, anointed with the Holy Spirit, to be our chief prophet and teacher, who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption, and to be our only high priest, 
who by the one sacrifice of His body has redeemed us and makes a continual intercession with the Father for us, and also to be our eternal King, who governs us by His Word and Spirit, who defends and preserves us in the enjoyment of that salvation which He has purchased for us. The Old Testament shows how all the the prophets and the priests and the kings were all anointed to their office. That anointing symbolizes the the, the equipping by God's Spirit for their task. You can read of even King Saul and King David were received as Spirit to, for their kingly office, and the, and the prophets and the priests are the same. And so, all these offices in the Old Testament were pointed to Christ who would hold all three offices of prophet, priest, and king. And so, He was prophesied to come in the Old Testament ordained of God the Father for that purpose. And in Luke 2, the, the angels came and they announced that the Christ, that Christ the Lord was born in the city of David. He was anointed in His life by His Holy Spirit. He had the Holy Spirit without measure to, to, to perform His task. And in Matthew 4, verse 18, the Lord Himself quoted the prophecy from Isaiah 61, where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And so Christ was sent to be our prophet and our teacher in this world to reveal the way of salvation to you and to show you that the, the, the Word, He is the Word. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He not only comes to show it, but He, he shows that He is the way. And here he taught the people about the kingdom of God, and that's what his, his word does. It teaches us about the kingdom of God. And he preached this word. And he taught them. And he prophesied even, he prophesied even to the, the disciples here of what he has come to do. In verse 22, he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. See, the disciples still needed to realize this too, that He has come to die, that there's a purpose for His coming, that God sends Him to be the sacrifice. And so He, he in His prophetic office, He's also showing them what He must do. But then it also shows that He will be the priest, the, our only high priest, in the Old Testament, the high priest would, would offer those sacrifices to God. And Christ would not only offer the sacrifice, but Christ would be the sacrifice for sin. He would be the lamb without blemish, without spot. He was not just a man who did miracles, but he was very God who came down upon earth to take upon him human flesh. He became man without stopping, to become God, without stopping to be God. He lived in this life without sin. He lived in this world without sin, tempted in every point like we are, perfectly obeying the will of His Father so that He could be that perfect sacrifice for our sin, so that He could lay down His life and pay for the sins of His people. And so He would suffer His whole life 
And in the end here, he says he would suffer many things, be rejected by the very people who were supposed to know who he was. But they did not understand. And his death then was more than just a physical suffering. The people were looking for the physical blessings, but Christ came for a spiritual. His purpose was more than physical. It was spiritual. He bore the sins of His people. As Isaiah 53 says, the Lord laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. And there on that cross He would die, forsaken of God, and yet bearing the full wrath and burden of God's wrath against sin. We're there the sin debt of His people was charged to His account. And then if you are His today, then His death on that cross was caused by our sin, that He paid that price in full, that there Christ laid down His life as a ransom for many, that there He removed that sin debt as far as the east is from the west, that there he appeased and turned away God's wrath against the world and satisfied his justice. And there, that barrier of sin was removed. The world reconciled to God in Christ Jesus. The favor, the mercy of God shining down on his people. And the Lord says, but you, who do you say that I am? Do you need Him to remove your sin from an angry God? To reconcile you to a holy God? Knowing that you can never pay for your sin nor obey, nor obey His law perfectly. Nor enter into His presence. Who do you then say that He is? What does He mean to you? Is He just someone who, who, who has come to this world to give you some temporary blessings? No, but as high priest, He entered into God's, into God's presence with that perfect sacrifice. And He was received, accepted of God. God raised Him from the dead the third day, showing Christ had fully accomplished this work. And he as high priest prays and intercedes for his people now continually in heaven. Here Jesus was praying alone and the disciples came and maybe even interrupted him, but they're in heaven. He intercedes continually for you. When we don't know how to pray, when we don't even know our, the full extent of our sins, when we don't even know the full extent of what Christ has done, Christ prays for you. Because this is a work he, he did alone. And this is a work that He only could do. This is what God anointed Him to do. This was the divine purpose that God had sent Him for. To reconcile sinners to Himself. The Son of Man must suffer many things for that purpose. And He was anointed to be the King of Kings. We sang a little of that as well. Jesus preached so much about the kingdom of God, and yet all the people could think about was the kingdom of earth. But He has an eternal kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. And He receives sinners into that heavenly kingdom even today through repentance and faith. 
And He's the one who upholds you in that faith and in that salvation. He's the one who provides you all things that you need because He's the, he's the eternal King. All power, all glory is given to Him. Do you need Him? Do you need His provision? Do you need His upholding and, and, and strengthening hand? Do you look for Him to come again as the King of kings and the Lord of lords in the glory of heaven and in the clouds? On this earth, He was a king rejected by men. He was fought against by the princes and by the prince of darkness himself. But He has overcome. And He gives His Word to direct you. In 9 verse 1, Jesus gave His disciples the power and the authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. So again, Jesus says, but you, very specifically, very emphatically, you, who do you say that I am? Who is Christ for you as prophet, as priest, as king? Does He mean anything, and does, or does He mean everything? Is He the Christ of God for you? God sent Him from heaven for this a purpose, for He anointed Him for the purpose of living in that perfect obedience to God, anointed to be the sacrifice for sin. He is the only Savior, the only anointed, the only appointed Savior by God to save sinners, and there is no other. Who is He? He's God's answer to the sin problem on this world. He's God's answer to reconcile uh, uh, sinners back to God, sinners who are alienated, separated, divided by God by sin. Now, this is God's wisdom of how to turn, how to receive sinners back to Himself. And now He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, because God has appointed Him for that purpose. Is that what you need today? Or is this already where you have fled? But maybe then you ask, well, how much do I need to know? Do you need to know everything about Christ to be able to be saved? Well, no. Can you know everything about Christ? No. But faith as a mustard seed is enough in Him. The confession of our faith that we confessed together at the beginning and what we're studying in the catechism is a summary of it. I believe in God the Father Almighty and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, who was, who was born, who suffered, who was crucified, who, who was dead, who was buried, and who, who rose again, and who will come again. Do you believe those details? And then we say, how can we believe? Well, how can Peter, how could Peter and the disciples confess this? Well, the Lord said in Matthew 16, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Faith, even faith, is a gift of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. When we feel like we don't know, even know how to believe. We know that it is the gift of God even to give that. And did, it, did the disciples here understand everything as Jesus was teaching them? No, 
because they still did not fully grasp the spiritual concept of the Messiah and His eternal kingdom. In, in Luke 9, verse 35, some of them even heard that, that voice from heaven confirming who Christ was, saying, this is my beloved Son, hear Him. But then later in Acts 1, verse 6, they still ask, Lord, will you at this time restore to us the kingdom of Israel? Still focused so low, so on this earth. They still don't fully understand what it means to be the Christ, the anointed of God. And yet, they believed His Word. They believed on Him. Even from the beginning, we see in John 1, verse 45, where Philip, Jesus called Philip, and then Philip called Nathanael, and he said, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. What did he, what did he believe? He believed the Word of God. He believed the promises. That Samaritan woman who the Lord Jesus met at the well in John 6, and she heard Jesus speak, and she went back to the city and said, Is not this who the Christ and then Jesus went and spoke with the family members, and they said, Now we believe ourselves, not because of what you said, for, but we have heard him ourselves and know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. See, all these crowds were following the Lord Jesus. They heard him preach, they saw the miracles, but they did not believe that he was the Christ of God, the Savior of sinners. It's not by our own wisdom that we believe, but we also need, we are dependent on the Holy Spirit to reveal Christ to us, to show us our need of Him, not just for temporal needs, but we need Christ to reconcile us to God. He's God's anointed prophet, priest, and king. And it's God who reveals our need for Him, to reveal our sin, our corruption, our separation from God. But it is God also who shows Christ to the soul. The Spirit takes up the things of Christ, it said, and reveals them to us. And you know what the beautiful thing about that is, children? Is that you also can and must believe. Not because... We can know everything, but because God is the one who saves you. It's not based on how, how smart you are or how much you have been taught about the Lord Jesus, but, but it is God who gives you faith to believe what you read in His Word. And so who do you believe that Christ is for your soul, even young children and adults? Romans 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him up from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is God's work through Jesus Christ. But in Luke 10, verse 21, just in the next chapter, it says, God hides it from the wise and the prudent, those who think they know it so well, but he reveals it unto babes. He reveals it unto the humble, to the meek. The elders, the scribes, the, 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 the chief priests, the educated religious rulers, they did not believe. They thought they knew it all so well. But the relatively simple disciples, 
who were not nearly as educated to the same level, they believed the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Yes, we might not know the full extent of, of who Christ really is. How can we? He is God. He is infinite. But can you answer Christ's question to, and say, I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Can you confess with Peter that He's God's Savior for your soul? And even if you can't come to that full assurance of faith, deep down in your soul you know that you cannot deny that truth. You cannot deny that faith and that trust you have in Him. You cannot deny the work you know He's done. You know His love for you and you know your love for Him that, that emanates from your heart. You know that there's no other Savior. You know that this is true, that He is the Christ. See, God gives grace to the humble, and those who seek Him will find Him. We need this Savior, and He will answer those who seek Him. And how can we take this all in? Even the disciples who live so close to Him they needed to learn so much. But Christ, who laid down His life for us, now ever lives in heaven to make intercession for us as our eternal high priest. He stopped praying here once to speak to His disciples, but now that He is glorified, He never stops praying for His people. He never stops being your eternal King. He never stops holding you in His hands. To, to preserve you in life until the very end. He has paid for all your sins for those who know His saving work. And He is still there for, for you who, who do not know that yet, for those who, who still need to know Him. But He will never fail you because He now eternally holds what He Himself has completed on the cross. He is that eternal prophet, uh, priest, and King. He came to declare the work, He came to do the work, and He came to uphold that work and finish it and to maintain it forever as King. But you, who do you say that I am? Is He the Christ of God for your soul? Amen.